All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us again for Scripture in Black and White. Uh, I'm Anthony Walker uh, here with uh, Bobby Harrington, uh, and we are looking forward to today's episode in which we discuss why we believe in Jesus and why the Gospels are such a valid source uh, for one to search and also to grow in their faith in Jesus as well. Uh, I think this is going to be a very good one. Looking forward to uh, today's discussion. Uh, Bobby, I want you to uh, start off in this episode and just share with us um, how you came to uh, believe in Jesus. Why was, you know, why was he different from anything else that you were offered to believe in and how you uh, came to faith? Great. Anthony, it's good to be with you, and I look forward to uh, sharing that with you. Uh, our plan, by the way, everyone, is I'm, go- I'm just going to explain how I came to faith in Jesus as an adult, and then Anthony's going to talk about his journey, and then we're going to, as Anthony said, we're going we're gonna to dive into that question of uh, what did Jesus think about Scripture? How do we know Jesus thought that? And uh, we think that's the best entry point for our conversation about scripture. So I'm gonna start by going back to uh, how I made a decision to trust and follow Jesus. So uh, as a young adult, I I was baptized uh, my first year at the University of Canada, or University of Canada, University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And, uh, but I was on a journey, I was probably on a couple of year journey before I was baptized. Let me describe my journey and what happened to me. And uh, I'm going to refer to scripture on this. Not that scripture proves anything, but actually I think that my journey is more of a normal person's journey. Uh, I think the average person believes for the four, it's kind of the the model I'm going to share with you. There's four phases or four core beliefs uh, that result in, in me following Jesus. All right. So the first one is, uh, I always believe there was a God. So step number one, uh, is there was never a time when I didn't believe there was a God. Now I, I, that doesn't mean I didn't have a lot of questions. Uh, had definitely had a lot of questions about God, what I heard about Christianity, about the Bible, but there was never a time I didn't believe in God. I can remember skiing in the, in the Canadian Rocky mountains and it's just so beautiful, Anthony. Wow. I mean, when you see uh, in in Banff, Canada or Lake Louise, and you're on that chairlift and you look out, the, the automatic thing that is going to hit you is God made this. Like, uh, there's no way. It's like a the, I remember um, some atheist scientists, you know, they get right down to molecular biology and and inside of a cell, mm-hmm. they see that inside of a cell, it's like a magnificent factory. And they say, there's no way that all just happened by blind chance. So I always believed that there was a God. By the way, Anthony, uh, this is a key passage that I think uh, I just want to point out to everybody. Actually, let me back up. So when it comes to believing in God, uh, I'm going to read you a passage from the Bible that talks about how everybody believes there's a God. And I just want to say, when, when I read that passage, that I actually found that to be true. Now, I'm not saying everybody 
who's an atheist is just lying. But I did master's in philosophy uh, work at the University of Calgary with atheists. It was like philosophy of religion. And so there were a lot of atheists. There was a, there was a very famous uh, atheist there, Kai Nielsen. Uh, so a lot of people came to study with him. And uh, when I really had these in-depth conversations, I could just tell uh, that atheists were still struggling with, like they didn't like God or they didn't like what Christianity said about God, but I never was convinced that they didn't believe in their heart of hearts that there was a God there. Mm. Well, here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seeing, I'm sorry, have been clearly seen being understood from what is made, from the, the created order, from what's been made. So, And that says this, so that people are without excuse. So here's the truth. Uh, even at a deep level, the Bible says, and I'm just, I'm just saying it, and I believe it, that we all know that there is a God there. Now, we can rationalize and say he's not, but we all know. And I was like that. I, there was never a period where I didn't believe there was a God. Secondly, now this is this is really crucial. Uh, I saw myself in the period leading up to my baptism uh, as somebody who is uh, a sinful person. Now, here's something that it just happened. I just knew that I wasn't right. Like. Like my life wasn't right. I, this sounds crazy, but I, I had a bedroom downstairs, uh, in, you know, in the home I grew up in. And uh, I would envision God being there. And it was like, I just felt this shame. Like I knew that I was a sinful person mm -hmm. and I knew enough about God that I had violated whatever God would want. Uh, I didn't have a fully developed understanding of God's holiness, but that's what was going on. Now, that sense that I'm a sinner in the presence of God, uh, I, I found out later is something that the Holy Spirit, the invisible Holy Spirit of God, creates within a person. Jesus put it this way in John 16. Jesus said that when he leaves the earth, that the Holy Spirit is going to come. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John, is going to take my place. And here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16. He said this, uh, but very truly I tell you, he said to his disciples, it's good for you that I'm going away. And he said, unless I go away, the advocate, it's a synonym for the Holy Spirit. So unless I go away, the advocate or Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... So this is the invisible presence of God. Mm -hmm. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong. And, and Jesus says uh, about three things. He will prove or convict the world to be wrong about sin, about righteousness, and judgment. So sin is that since I had that sense of guilt and that, uh, that I... I wasn't right, and I wasn't going to be okay because of the things that I'd done. And righteousness 
is like my false righteousness, the pseudo righteousness, uh, the, the false ways we try to say, I'm a good person or God should accept me because I'm, I'm good. That's, that's a false righteousness. And then lastly, judgment, the sense that I stood under judgment in the face, and I used to envision this, if I was in the presence of God, and for me, that meant like, not only now, but like when I die in the presence of God, because of the sin in my life, uh, I, w- I was in trouble mm. because I I wasn't living the way God intended to me. Now, I, I really uh, find helpful this four-part paradigm because I, I have found over the years being, you know, in, in full-time uh, senior ministry roles for 35 years, I've seen this happen to people. I've seen people get convicted and they just have to get right with God. Uh, when somebody explains the gospel, I'm about to do that. They just felt convicted and they had to respond. So here I am. I believe there's a God. I believe that I'm a sinful person and I'm convicted. Now, this is the beautiful part. It's the conviction of sin in the light of God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins. So when I understood the gospel, and and in short, again, uh, here is the gospel, that Jesus Christ came into this world. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So I came to believe that God loved me, and I had the gospel explained to me that my sin was taken care of by Jesus' sacrifice of atonement. So he was sacrificed on the cross as payment for my sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about how God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So I was won over. This is the, the gospel is the third part. I was won over by Jesus' love and sacrifice for my sin. I just knew that if there was a God who loved me and that I was the sinful person I knew I was, there's no way I was going to make it on my own. There was no way I was going to be good enough. But the fact that God loved me and Jesus died on the cross for my sins uh, and he was sacrificed for my sins, it just, I was just convicted it. It had to be true. Mm-hmm. It had to be true. Here's a couple of passages uh, for everybody. First John chapter 2, verse 2 says about Jesus that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is my sacrifice of atonement. By his death on the cross, his burial uh, in the tomb, his resurrection from the dead uh, as the promised Messiah of, of King David, as God's anointed, as God's promised uh, Savior, uh, who is also our King and Lord, who rose from the dead, who uh, is exalted at the right hand of God, and he's coming back. He's coming back, the Bible says, to judge the live, living and the dead. He's my Savior because he died on the cross, and the Bible teaches if we will place our faith in him, 
will turn from our sins. Like I didn't like those things about me. Mm -hmm. And if God said they're all wiped away, if I turned to, to him through Jesus, uh, and I was just convicted about that. Now, there's a passage in 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 27, that describes what I'm describing to you, and that is the conviction when I heard the gospel, and when I heard the gospel applied to me, the Holy Spirit just convicted me and melted my heart by the love of God that this is true, and even I can be accepted. The thought was, uh, this is the only way I'm going to make it. Wow. And uh, it was like love, love just filled my soul. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 20 says, it describes this as an anointing. It's two things. It's the presentation of the gospel, like what I just described, and the Holy Spirit. It creates within the inner person an anointing. John puts it this way. But you all have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So I just knew it was true. Now, Anthony, we're going to talk about historical arguments for Jesus and Scripture and mm -hmm. why they're trustworthy. We're going to use our brains because it, it's the head, heart, and hands. But I'm just talking right now that the truth of the gospel and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that's why people believe. And you don't have to be a scholar to know all of this evidence to believe because the average person just is not exposed to that. It's a simple, fundamental, existential thing. Is there a God? Am I a sinner? Did God send Jesus because he loved me to take away my sin? And will I repent, place my faith in Jesus, and uh, give my life back to him? so that God can renew me and regenerate me. And then the fourth thing, and I want to add this fourth part, mm -hmm. because I think it's really important as well. And I was won over by this. Uh, in addition to, I needed Jesus to die for me, I know that there's a way of living that's at the heart of the gospel that is the best way for human beings to live. So I was won over by the hope that we are to form our lives around Jesus' love and we're to love other people the way Jesus loved us. Like when I look at the world and all the division and all the discord and all the hurt and all the damage people do to each other, the answer to that is that we've got to forgive each other as Jesus forgives us. Yes. We've got to love each other the way Jesus loves us. Here's that thing that I like to say. Forgiven people, and I'm a forgiven person, forgive people. Loved people, and I'm loved. You're loved. We're loved, yes. Anthony. Yes. Loved people love people. And so at the heart is the truth that the love of Jesus described in the Bible, when we live that out and we replicate that, that's the best way for human beings to live. I've been with Arabs and Israelis in Israel, and I can tell you, I've heard them describe how the love of Jesus is the only reason that they can love one another. Anthony, uh, I've heard many uh, black preachers and brothers tell me because of all the hurt they've had, it's, but it's because of Jesus that they can forgive 
the racism and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, in our in our el in the eldership of our church, uh, one of our elders, his last name is Eagle, and he descended from uh, Indian tribe. Uh, um, I think his his great 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 grandfather was Pretty Boy Eagle, and uh, so uh, Mike Eagle did a little bit of research and found out about his grandfather, his great great grandfather. He was an Indian, and uh, when he came to faith in Christ, it allowed him to forgive all the bad things that people had done to him. Wow. So my my understanding of the gospel, my framework, my worldview, I've been convinced by the Holy Spirit of God that God the Father sent his son. He was the sacrifice of atonement for my sin. He makes me right. He takes me into his kingdom by repentance and faith. And now in the kingdom, he walks with me, he guides me, and he wants me to become as much like Jesus as I can. And my belief, Anthony, is what I just described to you, it's me at my best, but it's humanity at their best. People who love like Jesus are the most beautiful version of humanity. They're the, the, most, um, the, the most wonderful picture of a human being is a, another human being who believes in Jesus and loves like Jesus. Oh, and that's why I came to believe. That's why I was baptized uh, in 1978. If you're unfamiliar with who renew.org is, I want to just take one second and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we're all about. We care a ton about the theology behind Jesus style disciple making and really creating that firm foundation for churches and organizations to build upon. We invite you to check us out at renew.org where we have free resources, ebooks, podcasts, and also we have a national conference that we have every year. And we're gathering in Indianapolis this year on April 25th and 26th. We just invite you to grab some tickets, check us out online and see what we're all about. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, for me, and, and I, I listened to what you're sharing and it was very... I kind of went on there, didn't I? No, but it was, on, it was good. It was good. It was thoughtful, um, very, you know, well-rounded. You know, you looked at not just, you know, the word, you also looked within, you looked at what this meant for your life. Um, a good friend of mine has always shared this uh, when he speaks that we all deal with about four questions in humanity and God's word answers those questions. We want to know where did we come from? Uh, mm -hmm. Why are we here? Uh, how do we handle our grief? And, and by grief, he tends to describe it this way. Why do bad things happen to good people and why uh, do good things happen to bad people? Like what's going on with that? Um, and then, you know, what is going to happen when I die? You know, where do I go? What about my family that's left? And, and all of that points to God's design for us. Uh, and, and, and God's perfect design is that we go to him to answer all of those questions. Um, I'm reminded of when God took Jeremiah to the potter's house. And he asked him, he said, I want you to look at what the potter's doing. He said, behold, look at what he's doing. And when we examine this 
object lesson that God is teaching Jeremiah, we see a potter, whenever a potter, and you know I'm an artist, Bobby, whenever a potter makes a, a work of clay, they have to consider form and function at the same time. They don't make a piece of pottery and then later on say, well, I guess we'll call it a bowl. No, they have to know when they're making it that I'm making a bowl. So I'm, you know, getting as much clay as I need for a bowl. I'm shaping it to be this. And the same thing goes with how God made us. He didn't just make a generic being and then decide later on, I guess I will give him a soul. No, he made us in his image intentionally, form, function, design, all at the same time. And just like with that uh, clay pot, purpose. What is this going to be used for? And so when we look at that, if we assume, you know, as the atheist may, that, okay, there is no God. We came from, uh, you know, a big bang and a chemical soup and all of this stuff. If that's the deal, then it still leaves me with that question of purpose. Why did all of this happen? And then after that is, okay, what happens when we die? Are we just living because of an existence or is there a greater purpose? So, you know, as I listened to what you were sharing about your coming to faith and coming to a solid belief in God's word, it was that word that helped to answer those questions, dealing with your own personal things, as well as dealing with the outlook of humanity. Um, I was very young when I came to faith. Um, again, I got my faith passed down to me, basically, from my grandmother through my mom uh, to me. My grandmother. By the way, I love that. Yeah. You know, Paul writes to Timothy. You and I have talked about it. Yeah. Paul tells Timothy, you know, the faith that was uh, in his mother and his grandmother before that. Right. And uh, I love that about you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 helped to, you know, my grandmother and, and she's still living, still, uh, you know, praying over me. We still have so many biblical discussions, uh, but she was very practical in her theology. Um, I, I would literally see when we went through tough times as a family, I see her praying with a faith and a hope and an expectation that, God, you're going to have to deliver. And I also see when God delivers, we praise that same God. I see this faith in action. I see this modeled in her life. I see this modeled in her uh, study of the word. So for me, you know, very young, there's no other way to live other than in Christ. Like I, I knew nothing else as far as what life is supposed to be. Uh, sure, I would look around and see examples of people not doing what they're supposed to be. But if I were to look at what is life supposed to be, at yeah, some yeah. point, I'm going to have to respond to the gospel that I've heard and, and, and memorized from, from four years old. So at nine, uh, I obeyed the gospel. Um, I uh, was baptized at nine. I uh, am gifted to to be able to sing. So so very soon thereafter, I'm I'm singing, uh, leading worship songs. Um, I'm I'm just in the flow. Uh, soon thereafter, I think I was about uh, thirteen or so. 
I'm teaching Bible class on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to my age group. And a part of what this did for me in in my walk is I'm looking at this word that I know to be true. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching it. I'm teaching it. And I'm saying to my mentor, like, listen, I can communicate this same word in a way that my peers will understand. And he is seeing it and training me. And he's like, okay, let's do that. And that's what I did. So preaching at 11, teaching at 13, you know, leading songs, just, you know, visiting sick, you know, discipling others like this is life. I'm, I'm in it. Yes, I'm a young person, but this is what I understood as is detailed by the word of God. But it was about age 17 that I'm not sure where the thought originated. There was nothing traumatic that happened at the time. There was nothing that just caused it. But just somewhere out of the blue, uh, I began to think, Okay, wait a minute. Now, what if this is all fake? Like, what if it really is, um, you know, smoke and mirrors? Because, you know, there are so many different religions and, and denominations around the world. So I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. What what? What if what if this isn't what I think it is? What if the scientists are right? What if? Okay. so at about that time, I began to go back into the word because I was always trained that the the word has all the answers. Uh, If you have any questions, you know, go to the word. So I had to go back to the word from an apologetic kind of perspective. Those that are trying to investigate the scriptures uh, not just to be fact because we believe it to be fact, but to be objectively true, right? This is the unfeigned word, inerrant word of God. So it was about that time that I started to study the book of Luke. Um, one of my favorite books is, is, is the Gospel of John, uh, because that was probably, I think, one of the first books of the Bible that I read through and through. I was probably about eight or nine years old. But Luke, I had never really kind of done anything with Luke in depth. So I began to study it. And, and I'll share this in, in what came out, just stood out. In, in, in researching Luke, we know that Luke was a physician, but Luke was also a historian, Right. So as he writes in his gospel in in Luke, verse one, Luke, chapter one, verse one, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And paraphrasing that, Luke is saying there have been several that have decided to write down what we have seen to come to fruition that we've heard about and we've seen fulfilled. Many have done this just as they were handed down to us by those uh, from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. That stood out to me, again, as an investigator. um, We don't necessarily want to go just by hearsay. Is there some eyewitness testimony about this? And Luke says, hey, this is what we've got. So what he's writing As he's investigating, he says, I'm writing some things that are based on eyewitness testimony. My antenna goes up and he says, 
with this in mind, verse number three, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And that's another phrase. Luke is not just saying, I just decided to write it down. He says, I'm, I've, I've carefully, thoroughly investigated this. And again, for someone who already has a familiar, you know, cursory understanding of the word of God, this was refreshing to me to hear that someone is investigating this. And I'll slide this in as well, because this may be encouraging to some. The word that I believe, the gospel of Christ, the the word of God that I believe, I believe it so much that it will stand testing. Okay, let's test it and see. I I believe that it'll, it'll stand up to the test. And so it doesn't frighten me when people, even in their later years, you know, you say you are an adult convert. It doesn't frighten me or bother me when an adult may go through a phase where they say, oh, I don't know about this. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, Let's test yeah, it. Yeah. Let's go by yeah, the word. Yeah, so that's so really, as really Luke, good. yeah, as Luke is saying, I investigated this. He said everything from the beginning. And I decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know. Here it is. You may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught, not just your, I'm going to believe it because somebody in authority taught me. Luke says, I'm writing this because I want you to understand with certainty what you've already been taught. And that almost spoke directly to me because it is, okay, Anthony, you've had this from your earliest knowledge of reading and speaking and singing But now you're at a place where you need to investigate. And and guess what? Someone else has already investigated it. The other thing that that intrigued me about Luke in in this investigation, again, at about 17, uh, one of my uh, passions in school was history. I loved studying history. And um, I remember going on a school trip to Washington, D.C. And and again, I, I share with you. I'm in this stage where I'm questioning everything. And while we're there in D.C., you know, we may see a a monument. We may visit an old house and someone says, you know, you see that over there. That's, you know, George Washington's chair, you know, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, that's just a chair. (laughs) And it's a chair because you told me, but I don't know if George Washington sat in that chair. I'm believing it because you told me. And then I began to think, wow, nobody has a photograph of George Washington. We all believe what we're told. No one questions whether George Washington existed. Yet we don't have any photographs. We have paintings, but I could paint a picture of George Washington. But when it comes to Christ, that's when all the questions come. So, again, this investigating If we believe history, the Gospels are a historical account. And here's a man. They should be subject subject to historical investigation. Let's investigate history. And so this this historian, Luke, is saying, I'm going to investigate. And if I believe the history of our nation, and I do, if I believe that, then I need to look at this also 
and believe the historical account. The other thing, and I'll share this about Luke that intrigued me very early on in his gospel as well. In Luke chapter three, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was tetrarch of Idorea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now he is pinpointing this date. Whatever he's about to say, you can tell as a historian and investigator, he's not about to say what he's going to say just out of happenstance. He's researched and found not just a vague account. I can tell you who was in office who was governor, who was mayor, who was city councilman, who was judge. When all of those things lined up, he says, the word of God came to John. Yeah. Now, now, go ahead. Go ahead, Bobby. Oh, no, I'm getting excited about this. A couple of things. Uh, In 1991, uh, the high priest that you just described they found his coffin. It's called an ossuary. They literally found his coffin in Jerusalem. They were excavating and a dump truck fell, fell into a cave and they mm-hmm. went into the cave. And, and uh, we're going to talk about that. They found his ossuary. Uh, of course, Pilate, uh, Pilate's documented. Some people wondered about that title you just read. Mm-hmm. And then in 1963, they found an archaeological slab uh, that's you can actually go see it in the Israeli mu- museum, which I've done, and it describes him having the exact role uh, there, and and of course all these things, like you said, right. that those uh, people in office at that time, it's all been corroborated by history, and so we if we place them historically, and and we find okay, he was here, he was here, he was here, he was here at this all lined up at this time, what significant happened in that moment? And Luke says, the word of God came to John. Now, for me, you know, if you had told me that five years earlier, hey, one night in the wilderness, John was given the word of God. I believe it hook, line and sinker. And it was good enough for me. But Luke says there will be some who need more evidence. There will be some who need a historical account. So he documents history as we would commonly accept it. But he also mentions another historical fact with spiritual implications. And that is God's word comes to John. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, so again, and, and, and what that did, you know, we could read the entire book of Luke on this podcast, But what that did for me, um, in short, is what you see happen in some of these high profile uh, court cases. You know, they they will spend millions of dollars on attorneys. They will spend millions of dollars on experts and and, and detectives and all of this to get all of this evidence. And those cases usually turn on one instance, right? If you remember the OJ case, it it, it boiled down to one obscure piece of evidence. If the glove doesn't fit, 
After that, everything hinged on that. So for me, when I looked at what Luke did early on, as he tells us why and how he is writing this gospel, that lets me know now that anything else I read from Luke, he's not saying from a Orthodox Jewish perspective. He's not speaking solely from a faith or a believer's perspective. He's speaking from a objective historical perspective, which means that now whatever I read from him, I can take it to the bank. And so if he goes on to say that Jesus is born of a virgin, if he goes on to say that Jesus, even if we skip that and just say, if he says that Jesus existed, then that means that I must build everything off of Jesus's existence. If he tells me that he dies on the cross and is resurrected, I've got to believe this from a historical space. So that instance, and it may sound simple to some, but that instance and that study and going to God's word to find this and taking that approach, that investigatory approach, it solidified my faith. It, it, it reestablished my faith. It also gave me, uh, obviously, some more methods of studying and investigating the scriptures. It gave me a better understanding of those to whom I may disciple somewhere down the line, because there will be some who are like um, Bobby Harrington, who, you know, yeah, I kind of believe in God, but then there will be others who I need evidence, all right? I need objective fact. Don't hit me with this faith stuff. So it helps me with that. That being said, uh, everything in the gospel, everything in the life of Christ gave me the model of what life is supposed to be. And from there, um, I, I keep, I have to keep coming back to the word. So for me, um, Luke, he, he helped me um, yeah, in, yeah. in my in my study and in my faith. Well, let me kind of build, Anthony, on what you just shared with us. <clears throat> so when I came to faith, I was being discipled, which means that I was being guided uh, in a close relationship with a man who happened to have been my French professor. Uh, he discipled me and taught me about Jesus. Uh, God gave him to me because I, I needed somebody who could answer the hard questions. And uh, this, this was a brilliant guy. So I had all these subjective convictions that what the Bible said was true. It applied to me. I needed Jesus. I think the love of Jesus is the right way to live and all that. But then, and I think this happens to, to most people, they have that conviction, but then a part of them says, now, I got I to gotta make sure. I also, I want to take my brains with me. And uh, so Mac was really good for me with that. I want to pick up on what you're saying, because I think most people don't know the strength of the historical evidence. Anthony, thank you so much. I totally am on the same page as you are on that. Um, I was discipled by my French professor when I came to faith, and I'm so grateful that he was a bit of a scholar. Like He had five master's degrees and two PhDs, and it was at a time in my life where everybody around me thought that if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to park your brains 
and I have these strong convictions, but then like everybody, you go through this thing, you say, well, let me double check on that. Like, or do the facts back me up? And he was so good about giving me the facts that back it up about Jesus and about scripture. Like I pressed him, how do we know scripture came to us reliably? How do we know that all this is like really historically true? And uh, so I'd like to start on that. We won't be able to finish it today, but let, let me go through some of the basic like historical things that uh, Mac walked me through and that subsequently I've really become convicted of. So just a little bit of background. I've, I spent a lot of time studying this stuff. Uh, I've spent a lot of time looking at the historical evidence for Jesus. I've led 12 trips to Israel. So I've had like a real in-depth study, uh, not only of the history, uh, but also, um, you know, the archaeology, the geography. And it's amazing how everything that we know in history corroborates with what Scripture says. So uh, let's just take a few minutes here before we close and let me cover some of that evidence. So I want to state that even outside the Bible, uh, there's basic things about Jesus that we can know that that corroborates what Scripture says, but it's different than what Scripture says. Mm. So just as an example, uh, just a few years ago, not very long ago, in the scholarly journal called the, the uh, Biblical Archaeology Review, so this is a magazine, you can find it online, where scholars summarize uh, their investigation into Scripture. There was uh, a scholar, uh, his name's uh, Lawrence Mikitiak, and uh, he published an article called Did Jesus Exist? Searching for Evidence Beyond the Bible. And uh, what he did is he just synthesized uh, what we can know about Jesus apart from anything that the Bible says. So he's talking about Josephus. He's talking about other historical references uh, in, you know, uh, the Roman historians, uh, Tacitus, uh, and Suetonius, the kind of things that they mentioned. So let me just tell you the, the nine things that uh, he points out that we know factually outside the Bible. First, uh, Jesus of Nazareth existed as a man. His personal name was Jesus or Joshua, as it would have been a common uh, Hebrew expression. He was also called Christos in Greek, which is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. He had a brother named James. And by the way, uh, there's a, a biblical archaeologist named Craig Evans, who has recently made the case that uh, they have also found James's coffin, like uh, it says, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And the odds of getting those three names together from the first century, uh, it, it's impossible, especially since it was preserved. Uh, it's impossible <clears throat> to think that it wasn't James. Uh, this Jesus, historically, he uh, we know historically that he won over both <laughs> Jews and Greeks, that the Jewish leaders of the day had an unfavorable opinion of him that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, rendered the decision that he should be executed. 
and his execution was specifically by crucifixion. And lastly, he was executed during Pontius Pilate's governorship over Judea, uh, which was from 26 AD to 36 AD. So Pontius Pilate was the guy in charge, as, uh, as you pointed out, as Luke tells us about that. So these things are not in dispute. And in fact, the average person does not realize, Anthony, that people don't dispute the historicity of Jesus and they don't dispute the central uh, elements of what the Bible says about him. Uh, N.T. Wright, who probably knows the evidence better than everybody, he's a British scholar, and here's how he sums it up. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' life, his announcement of God's kingdom, his radical redefinition of that kingdom, and his death on a Roman cross, we can be certain of all that, he says. Few serious historians of any background or belief would deny those facts. So what he's saying is that we have to, on the basis of history, acknowledge these things about Jesus and they're apart from Scripture. Now, let's get into uh, what we can know from Scripture. Uh, we're going to do that on our next time together. We're going to go through the 10 uh, archaeological, historical, geographical, like there's 10 key events and places in the Gospel of Luke that you pointed out. And I'm just going to go through the evidence. We're going to show pictures. Uh, I took all these pictures in Israel of these sites. For example, in Jerusalem, the earliest tradition was that he was buried. That, I'm sorry, that he was born, buried. He was born uh, in Bethlehem in a cave. Uh, we think we know the exact cave, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. So I just want to say I actually want to read something to you in addition to Luke. Actually, Luke wrote two volumes. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he wrote the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. uh, you've talked about what he says when Luke begins. So the book of Acts is volume two of the two volumes set. And it just carries on that investigation. And in Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul uh, is in front of uh, Festus and Felix to uh, Roman officials. And here's what Paul says at that time about the evidence. It says this in Acts, again, Acts 26, 24 through 26. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. You're great learning. Paul was uh, a student of Gamaliel and uh, just a brilliant man. He says, your great learning is driving you insane. Paul said, <laughs> I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, which is how you'd refer to a Roman official. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak, speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, these things about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, because it was not done in a corner. Everybody is aware of it. And these things about Jesus are grounded in history and historical fact. So I... I think it's important that we say that and that uh, these things we're going to talk about, they are grounded in that history. Back to you, Anthony. 
Wow, that is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Bobby, uh, for for everything that you brought in this. And hopefully I was able to contribute a little bit as well to this great discussion. We want to encourage you all to be sure uh, to tune in next time as we dig even deeper into uh, the historicity of Jesus, the authenticity of Jesus, why we believe in him and the word. We'll talk even more about the uh, archaeology that supports this and, and even probably get into even how Jesus felt about the very scriptures that talked about him as well. So lots coming up. Be sure to tune in on next time on Scripture in Black and White. Hello, listener. Thank you for tuning into a Renew.org podcast. We want to invite you to join us this April in Indianapolis for our 2024 gathering, Courageous Renewal. We will feature speakers such as Anthony Walker, Tina Wilson, Bobby Harrington, Jonathan Storman, and so much more. Secure your spot now at Renew.org slash events. That is Renew.org slash events. Hope to see you there.